Ladies and gentlemen, Stu Breyer. Welcome back to the program. It's always a pleasure to have on our show Sue Dub from the Uncas Health Center. Hi, Sue. Hi, Stu. How are you? I'm okay, which That's is uh, <laughs> nice to say that because, uh, you know, I've had a few problems this winter with, uh, I don't know, coughs and stuffy noses. Sue, is, is, are people sicker in the winter than they are in the summer? Or is that a fallacy? Um, well, I that's hard to say now that we have COVID in the mix that, yeah. you know, obviously um, when we get into pandemics, there's no real seasonality to it. But typically, you know, fall, winter um, tends to be the time when people are indoors, the windows are closed, um, the heat is on, and viruses are circulating, and they love warmth. Um, and they like to be in a closed space for mm-hmm. an extended period of time. So it's sort of a perfect storm kind of makes for sense, those yeah. um, viruses to set up camp, shall we say. And uh, this has been a particularly busy uh, respiratory illness season. Um, we don't even refer to it anymore as flu season. It's respiratory illness season because we have flu, we have COVID-19, and we have RSV. And you know, when I first talked to you this morning, and then it seems like there's a lot of colds or weird colds that seem to come and go. And yeah, it's a it's definitely a respiratory season from what I'm seeing with my friends and yeah. everybody. Absolutely. Um, and just to let you know how busy it's been, um, we typically track flu from about the beginning of October until around the end of March. So. This season, to date, um, Connecticut has had 9,200 um, reports. Mm. And um, in the Uncas Health District, we have had, and I just had it written down here in front of me, um, 269 cases to date. Um, now, I, I always want to clarify this for people. So not everyone who gets the flu goes to the doctor or goes to the urgent care or the emergency room to get tested. So it's hard to know. People yeah. get sick, they stay home, they ride it out, and unless they get really, really sick, they don't bother. They just stay home and kind of take care of it themselves. But um, what we do know is that emergency rooms are part of a what we call a syndromic surveillance system. So anybody who goes to the emergency department and is discharged with a diagnosis of COVID, RSV, or the flu gets reported in as a positive respiratory illness. And that's how we kind of come up with these numbers. Um, And certainly hospitalizations for any of those three things. Um, And then we have what we call sentinel providers out in the community that do testing and do voluntarily send in those results. Mm -hmm. Um, So we get um, a mix of the reports here at the local health department and um, the bulk of what we get is flu and COVID-19. We don't see a lot of RSV reported directly to local health, but it does go to the state health department. And RSV season to date um, has 11,000 cases. Hmm. And COVID-19, now keep in mind that this is 
from the beginning of January, because we've had COVID all year, um, 31,000 cases. But to put that in perspective, um, last week, we had 1,400 flu cases, we had 3,800 COVID-19 cases, and we had 856 RSV cases. So what we're sort of seeing is that RSV, since about the beginning of December, is starting on a, a downward trend, but flu and COVID are still kind of hovering, making their decision whether they're going to keep going or if they're going to level off for a little bit. So never too late to get your vaccines. Um, you know, once you've had the flu, you never want it. I was lucky enough to not get COVID until September of this year, and I had all my vaccinations. I was up to date on all my boosters and still very careful because I have a new granddaughter in my family. So, of course. you know, too young to be vaccinated. So I wanted to make sure that um, I was safe around her. And I got COVID, didn't know I had it, and I gave it to my six-week-old granddaughter. Well, you know, there's so, some sometimes, and I know you you know there's different symptoms. Sometimes you you think you could think it's just a cold or not even that. Exactly, I had a bit of a scratchy throat. Mm -hmm. I did not have a fever with it. I was nasally congested for a day or so, and that was it. That was all the symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so, I think there's a lot of that happening out there. People are testing at home with the COVID self test kits. And so why go to a doctor when you can test in the comfort of your own home? So that's been a part of the reason that we haven't been seeing um, as consistent mm -hmm. testing reports coming in. We're still getting them, but it's certainly not the volume that we were getting, you know, this time last year. For so sure. what kind of a case did the baby have that uh, the COVID? So my... <laughs> My first call was to a pediatrician friend of mine who mm -hmm. said that um, young children actually do very well with COVID. Yeah. Now, there's always exceptions. I mean, she was born healthy. She didn't have any underlying illnesses or anything. But for uh, kids that have underlying um, congenital issues or immune system issues, Serious. Um, mm -hmm. it, they may not fare quite as well. But... Um, she was a champ, um, and then she was kind enough to share it with her mommy and daddy. So oh, nice. That's, that's a bonding thing. And, and, and Grandma had to go make chicken soup for everybody. Mm -hmm. So Amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, I've always heard, well, you know, the student, there was always the debate, should students still go to school because they're less apt to have a problem with it, but then they could pass it on. Statistically, uh, is there any way to, let's just say the flu, that uh, you can get a percentage of people who got the flu shot who still get the flu. Do, do you do uh, a lot of research on that? Do that is the $64,000 question. Yep. And I wish for every lab <laughs> test that's done that comes out positive, well, any lab test that's done for flu, ask, uh, there should be a question that's asked, did you get your flu vaccine this year? Mm. And if so, when? Because the other thing that I want people to remember is that it takes 10 to 14 days for your flu vaccine to be fully effective. So if you're exposed to somebody in that first 10 to 14 days, 
it is possible that you could get the flu because your vaccine is not fully effective yet. But the other thing that people should know is that there's not just two A strains and two B strains floating around out there. There's a lot of different strains out there, but we can't fit them all into one vaccine. So there are occasions when you could have the flu, quote unquote, um, and it doesn't come up in the particular testing um, that is done. Um, But what I can tell you is that the flu vaccine, no matter the strain, still protects you to a level And it's never meant to completely prevent the flu. It's meant to prevent serious illness and hospitalization. Well, I'll take that. You know, that's it. I mean, my arm is like Swiss cheese. I've taken so many shots, but Mm -hmm. I do it. Yeah. Because I have a bad flu memory, so (laughs) scared me. And I will say, um, I was just kind of popped on the CDC website to check in because I haven't been on there in a while. And to date for this flu season, and we're talking nationally now, there's been about 9,400 deaths this flu season, 14 million illnesses approximately, and about 150,000 hospitalizations, and there's been 40 pediatric deaths from flu this year. So take that seriously. Now, they have something called Tamiflu, and uh, if you have it immediately, does that cut it down to the it severity? Does, it does tend to shorten the course of the flu. It doesn't stop it completely, but it certainly slows it down. So you may only feel like you've been hit by a Volkswagen instead of a big bus. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but I'll take the back, the Volkswagen over the bus any day. Um, but yeah, the other thing that I wanted to let people know about is the RSV vaccine, especially if you're in the 60 and older population. And um, this year, so far here in Connecticut, we've vaccinated 130,000 people, and 120 of those people are um, 60 years or older, and I'm one of them, and I'm proud to say it. Um, And um, the month of October, as far as COVID vaccines went, um, we did 228,426 doses administered in the um, month of October alone, and more than 40% of the 70-plus-year-olds in the state are vaccinated. That's a pretty good rate. It sounds like a low number, but that's actually a pretty good rate um, in that age group. And when you move down to the 60 to 69-year-olds, it goes down to 27% of that age group in the state that's vaccinated and continues to go lower. So our older population um, are certainly more um, uh, dedicated, I guess, mm-hmm. to getting staying the with the program, getting vaccinated, <clears throat> getting the updated boosters, and for good reason. It's going to keep them out of the hospital. It's going to prevent serious illness and complications. So, I'm sure you're well aware, Sue, that there are some people that are emphatic about the fact that uh, no vaccines are not good. We don't need them. We shouldn't take them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have a different opinion on that. Yes. So, you know, um, there was a guy by the name of Andrew Wakefield. And um, he was a physician in Britain, 
who did a research study on MMR vaccines, and he was doing it because he was going to invent his own version of MMR, and so his study was found to be um, falsified because he was trying to make the established MMR vaccine look like it caused all these problems, and then he was going to swoop in with this brand new vaccine that was going to cure measles, mumps, and rubella, and he'd be a rich man. So he was kicked out of the British Medical Society, mm -hmm. and the article that he wrote that caused the whole panic over vaccines cause autism, vaccines cause this, um, was all to his credit. So all the children that have since died um, that listened to his garbage. Um, wow, what a story. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's a, there's a website called Khan Academy, and if you Google it, uh, he, there's two short YouTube videos, and it's, it's um, Khan Academy, K-A-H-A-N, and just Google MMR vaccine autism. And once you read that or see that, you will be completely um, up to date on, on what's out there on vaccines. Vaccines are safe. My own mother told me she ran to the doctor as soon as she found out there was a vaccine for measles, mumps, and rubella. I was a little one at the time. But if you, why would you let your kids go through that disease that can have so many bad effects and there's something there that can prevent that and I think that's part of what's been going on is we don't see those illnesses anymore because we've been vaccinating for them and measles was eradicated here in the United States back in I think 2000. Hey, polio was a vaccination imagine if that exactly. they didn't come up with that one. Exactly mm -hmm. so when you hear of these outbreaks every now and then um I think there was one out in Minnesota a few years ago. There was one in New York City. Um, <clears throat> typically, we're finding out that uh, the anti-vax anti folks have gotten out there and are kind of spreading a lot of misinformation to people that are newer to the country, the immigrant population, and scaring them into not getting their children vaccinated. And um, unfortunately, you know, measles is highly contagious and you only the the amount of virus that's needed to get somebody infected is so minuscule um i, I can't even describe mm -hmm. how tiny it is well, this is good stuff but, because uh you know we try to get as close to the truth as we can here somebody's been waiting for a question i think hi wich a question for sue uh, sue when we go to our doctor's offices or to or the clinics right now, should we be wearing a mask? Thank you. And yeah, that's you a You know, that's a question. great question. And I tell everybody, the thing you need to know about masks is if you have um, a surgical mask, like the, the blue ones that you usually see doctors and nurses wearing when they go into the operating room, um, or a cloth mask, those are what we call source control masks. And what that's doing is keeping your respiratory droplets, most of them, from getting out into the environment. If you are looking to protect yourself from catching the flu from somebody else or COVID from somebody else, 
then an N95 mask is what provides that level of protection for you. But if the community as a whole are wearing masks when our respiratory illnesses are running high, then the likelihood of people transmitting it is much lower. But what I'm going to tell you is even more important than a mask is hand washing. Oh, yeah. It's the number one thing that we can do mm-hmm. that can stop the spread of uh, infection. I don't think people realize so, that sometimes you can touch a, some furniture and if your hands, are, you know, and on and on. Yeah. Just think about going to the gas station. How many people held that gas pump handle before you did? I think or about that. the yeah. pin pad on the, when you're putting your card in. Or you go to the ATM machine mm-hmm. and put your card in. Or you go to the grocery store and you put your pin in that. I mean, there are so many surfaces that we touch in the run of a day. And then if somebody had the flu right before you pumped your gas, and you rub your eye after pumping your gas, you've just given yourself the virus without even thinking about it. And boy, that's something that uh, most of you know. We touch our face, we touch our eyes. We, you know, you know, you got to always say, "Whoops, hold on." I remember what yep. Sue said. So I keep a bottle, a little jug of alcohol sanitizer in the mm-hmm. little pocket of my car door, and whenever I pump gas before I get back in my car, I sanitize my hands. And um, so that when I get inside my car, my hands are not contaminated and I'm not touching my radio dials and my steering wheel and all those things. It's always a pleasure to have you on, Sue. I'm going to take a little break and if some folks have some questions for you. And uh, uh, then when I come back, I want to get a real definition of RSV because that's the one that really seems to be confusing people. We'll be right back with Sue Dubs. So, Dove, Anka's Health Center with us, this portion of the program. Let's get a listener's question. Hi, what's your question for Sue? Hello. Are you speaking with me? Yes, sir. Go right ahead. What's You're your question? coming in very faint. I have a quick question on the cost of RSV. I received the RSV inoculation, and I was surprised that it showed up on a monthly report I get from my Medicare Advantage program. Uh, in the past, the flu and pneumonia shots have not shown up on this monthly report, but RSV did. Hmm. Surprisingly, the cost of the inoculation that was taken by my Connect to Care Advantage program was $252, and there was an additional charge of $42 uh, paid under Social Security. I've never seen that breakdown before or such an amount. I also have two friends who went to get an inoculation at the same supermarket that I went to, and because their their Advantage program did not cover RSVP, they were told that it was $370 per inoculation to them. Would you comment on the cost, and who's picking that up, please? Thank you very much for that. Well, that's interesting. So... That, that is the unfortunate news about the RSV vaccine. If it's not covered under your pharmacy plan, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it is a costly vaccine to get. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I, I'm not familiar yet with the Medicare Advantage plans. Um, with, uh, I'm, I just turned 60 this year, so I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to having to weed through all of that, but um, 
I understand it can be very complicated, and I'm not sure what it means when you say it showed up on your statement broken down. Okay. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, that's okay. Um, you okay? I can take a break. You all right? Yeah, I'm just going to take a little sip of water. Yeah, sure. Yeah, believe me, I go through that all the time now. Yeah. The air in here is very dry. Um, but, yes, you know, when the manufacturers, they they justify the cost of their vaccine because of the years of research and development that it takes to bring it to market. And they can only hold the patent typically for seven years. Once the patent is um, cleared, then the formulation can be made available in a generic form. So well, that would be good. Unfortunate, the cost is very expensive. Just like when the medications to treat hepatitis C came out initially, I mean, it was cost prohibitive, and um, now the the course of treatment has dropped significantly. There's pharmaceutical um, programs where you can get assistance with the cost of your medication um, because they know that uh, the target audience we're looking at is 60 and older, primarily. Um, and many of them are on fixed income. Sure, they get smacked with over three hundred bucks. That's a big deal. Exactly. I mm. mean, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I hear the struggle. Um, I and I'm not defending the cost. I'm just trying to <clears throat> explain what was yeah, sure. explained to me as far as why the cost is usually so high when a new medication is first released. So we know, um, yeah, and I'm not sure why the why the flu and um, uh, COVID vaccines didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are just used to getting those freebies, and um, and then the RSV comes along, and well, the COVID vaccine is no longer free either. That mm-hmm. is actually one of the reasons um, when they went to the commercial market the cost of the vaccine was so high that as a local health department, we could not afford to purchase it in bulk um, and hope that the insurances were going to cover it. Um, it It was a hard decision for us to make because obviously we had been providing it to our communities for the last three years. But um, when we saw the ticket price per vial, um, it was, um, you could say we had sticker shock. Yeah, sure. Um, and we, we just knew that w- we could not do that. And the pharmacies all had it, and they had standing contracts with insurance companies. They were much more um, prepared for that um, level of interaction. And so I'm hoping that in the next couple of years, the cost of it goes down a little bit, but you know, our point was that, well, who else is going to do the homebound? Because most of the homebound folks that we see have Medicare. And if Medicare is not going to cover it, then we're missing a whole group of population that's actually who we're targeting to be vaccinated because they have underlying medical conditions. They're going to be very vulnerable. So um, somebody at a much higher pay grade than me at the federal level 
dropped the ball on that one in Sue Dub's humble opinion. That is not the opinion of the health department. That no, but we, uh, pre- we respect your humble opinion, as always. Let me see, uh, get this call in here. Hi, WYCH, what's your question for Sue? Whoops. Okay, they got a little impatient waiting, Sue. So we know that uh, COVID, people get mild cases, people get more severe cases, same with the flu. Other people are devastated and need to go to the hospital. What is the difference between RSV and those other culprits? So um, all three of them are viruses, but it's how they interact with the cells in the body. Um, COVID-19 has, everybody's heard of the spike protein. Um, flu, sort of similar, but less um, less intense, and it's flu's been around a lot longer than COVID has. Um, the thing that got us in trouble with COVID, it was a brand new strain that nobody had ever seen before, and therefore nobody had immunity to it. Flu circulates around the globe every single year, and there's been multiple strains that are around. So even if you didn't have the flu, you've probably been exposed to it, and you may have even had a mild case of it, not even known you had it. So mm-hmm. over time, and you throw in, you may get your flu shot every once in a while, um, even if you got it every couple of years, there's still some level of familiarity that your body has with the flu vaccine. So when it comes knocking on your door, it goes, oh, yeah, I think I've seen you here before, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal over it. Whereas when COVID came knocking at the door, our bodies were like, no, 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 stranger danger. We've never seen you before. You can't come in. And if you do slip in, it's going to be an all-out brawl. Um, RSV is a virus we never really heard a lot about. It's been around for a while, but in adults, we never really saw much problem with it until COVID happened. Um, at least that's my memory, and I could be I could be wrong on this, but. In the the bit of research that I've done, I kind of feel like there were mild strains of it around that probably, much like the flu, have been circulating for a while. You've probably been exposed. Maybe what you had when you thought you had a cold was actually RSV because it can present very similarly to a cold, a bad cold. Um, but for folks that are immunocompromised, have underlying medical conditions like COPD or heart disease, things like that, RSV can be a little harder on those folks, which is why the vaccine is so important because it will protect folks that have those risk factors against getting RSV. And we're also preventing giving it to our littlest um, people. My, my motivation was both I want to be healthy myself, but I also want to protect my granddaughter. Um, so, I had heard that uh, the children, and then this could be totally wrong, were more uh, apt to get RSV than, than older folks? It certainly can be very serious in young children. Um, so in young children, they're respiratory systems aren't fully developed Mm -hmm. um, until they're about 9 or 10 years old. 
And so when you take a little one, you know, a toddler that gets this RSV and it sets up in their lungs, it can make them pretty sick. Um, I've known that there's been kids that have been in ICUs uh, for a decent period of time because their RSV infection just got so bad that they needed breathing support from a ventilator. Um, they had to be very closely monitored. So it can be very serious in young children because their immune system and their respiratory system is not fully developed yet. And in, as we get older, our immune systems break down, which puts a lot of our older population at risk because they're not able to fight it off as easily as they could when they were in their, you know, heyday, shall we say. <clears throat> well, good. Now let's um, have a few more minutes with Sue. WICH, you have a question for Sue. Hi, Sue. Oops, you're, you're cutting out. Try it again. Oops. Any cure for bad cell phones, uh, Sue? <laughs> Check the cells. Uh, I hope that caller will call back. And uh, I know one thing is very confusing with the COVID. And uh, say you get the flu in, uh, we'll start with the flu, October. Can you get it again in uh, February? Well, you could get a different strain, and I'll tell you why. Um, <clears throat> so a typical flu season, in the beginning of a typical flu season, we usually see primarily the A strain circulating. Somewhere around January, early February, we start to see this transition over to the B strain. Oh, my. <laughs> so... <clears throat> B strain tends to be a little more mild. A strain tends to be more aggressive, usually gets people pretty sick, can get them hospitalized. But B strain tends to be a little more subtle. Um, that's why when you get your flu shot, there's two A strains and two B strains in your flu shot because we know that the flu season includes typically in the beginning two A you know, a couple of A strains, a couple of B strains. So if you have a season where, uh, for instance, a couple of years ago, we had A and B right at the beginning, and it was a crazy flu season, um, and it was right after, uh, you know, kind of on the heels of COVID slowing down, so I think people's immune systems were a little bit beat up and um, or beaten down, and it just kind of left us open. And, uh, you know, we don't usually see the two of them start at the beginning of the season and ride it all the way through. It usually starts with A and ends with B. But uh, <clears throat> I've only had eight cases of B reported here at the local health district out of the 269 reports that we have. So that's pretty standard for what I see mm -hmm. year to year. All right, let me uh, see if we can get this call here. Hi, you have a question for Sue. Yeah, the question is, is um, the three different viruses you talked about, um, if you get one, say you get the flu, is it possible uh, to get uh, one or two of the other viruses at the same time, or, or is it uh, more likely that you only get one and you're not going to get the other two at the same time? Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. That's a scary That's thought. That's a great question, and the answer is yes, you can get more than one at the same time. Um, we call it co-infection, and um, usually it's 
um, from what I've seen, it's most commonly a combination of flu and COVID. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, they're different viruses, so they can attack your body. They, they work different ways. So it is possible that you could get more than one of those at the same time. God forbid, but uh, it is possible. And in the well, same- that's why, mm-hmm. you know, the mantra is wash your hands, cover your cough, stay home when you're sick, and get your flu shot and your COVID booster and your RSV vaccine. I had to add those additional ones onto the mantra of every flu season, but do know that um, flu is, well, respiratory illness activity in general Um, On the CDC website, they said that 37 jurisdictions, so that's um, states, it's the U.S. territories, it's D.C., um, 37 jurisdictions um, are reporting high or very high respiratory illness activity currently, and we are included in that batch. So our friends in New York City are very high, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut are high, um, <clears throat> so it's out there. Uh, wash your hands. Keep hand sanitizer handy. Try to avoid people who look sick. Although, with the flu in particular, you can be contagious for up to 72 hours before you actually develop symptoms yourself. So you could be out shopping for mm-hmm. groceries, feel just fine, mm-hmm. and two days later you're suddenly feeling like you were hit by a bus and all the people that you were in close contact with at the grocery store, the person who used the cart after you if they didn't wipe the handle down, the person at the cash register, all potentially exposed. All right, wash the hands, don't touch the face. Just one other thing, my sister had uh, a couple of months ago a very mild case of uh, COVID, Mm. and we were talking uh, she didn't have the uh, latest uh, COVID shot. Should she wait a while before she gets that, or is she going to be immune for six months or so? So the, the, the recommendation on the CDC website is that as long as you're over the acute illness, mm-hmm. which is typically 14 days, mm-hmm. it's okay to go back and get the next booster shot. However, I will tell you that anecdotally speaking, I have heard from several people that went back fairly quickly after having just recovered from COVID, and they said that getting their booster shot was like kind of getting sick all over again. And I think it's because there's still a lot of the antibodies floating around in your system, and it your body kind of doesn't know what to do with the extra that you're putting in there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, <clears throat> My personal thought on that would be Wait a, little a bit. couple of months before you yeah, go get it. Yeah, I would think. I mean, you know, um, that's, <clears throat> from the get-go, that's people used to think, well, you get it once, you're not going to get it again. But you can obviously get it again. We've seen so it, but yeah. That's, that's the crazy thing about viruses, too. They have survived millennia because they are the masters of survival. Just when you think you have it controlled, it changes again, and we have to come up with a different formula, a different plan to come at it again. So they're they're great survivors. And um, speaking of which, I wanted to 
make a special note for yes. your listeners. Um, with all the recent flooding that we had in um, the past week, uh, you know, our environmental health staff were out working with a lot of those food service establishments um, that ended up having to close because of the flooding and helping them get you know, back up and running so that they weren't losing too much business. But um, I, my heart goes out to anyone that was involved in any level uh, with any kind of that flooding, if it, whether it was a flooded basement or your business was flooded or, you know, I know that there was a lot of power outages, but uh, my other passion in life is emergency preparedness. And we live in an area that we know floods from time to time, and so having a plan in place and keeping it at the forefront of your mind, especially winter weather today, you know, making sure you have a full tank of gas, that your window wipers are working, uh, you have actually got window washer fluid in the, in the jug, um, keeping your windows clear so you can see all around you cleaning off the top of your vehicle so you don't blind the person behind you. Um, <clears throat> all of those things, you know, we live in New England, and we've been very fortunate this year. We haven't had a lot of severe weather, but the flooding, I know, was incredibly overwhelming. And I, when I looked at the pictures of some of the stuff that people were posting, it was just heartbreaking. Yeah. So, um, but important to... Pay attention to things like when you have power outages, how to protect your food. And we did have a lot of messaging around that on our website and on social media, and it's still up there. You can go to our website and get all kinds of information about that. And keep an eye out for our mobile health team in our fancy new mobile health van. All right. Good for you. So uh, I know that when we spoke about the early days of COVID that uh, you were making house calls and vaccinations are you still doing that or we are still doing home visits for flu shots yes okay we don't have the covid vaccine to do home <clears> vaccines <throat> but we we did do a lot of homebound mm -hmm. visits this year um we know there's a lot of people that even if they're not by medicare definition homebound getting to the doctor's office or to a pharmacy to get their flu shot is really physically taxing and if we can come to your house and do it in the comfort of your own home I think that's um, something that the community deserves and I love going out to visit folks in their home so so you're the best so uh, what's the best number for people to call and ask your folks questions uh, 860-639-5151 mm -hmm. Eight six zero six three nine five one three nine. I um, it's got time to take a quick call because I'm mm -hmm. getting a little backed up here. Hi, WICH. What's your question? What is your question? I uh, I went to my general practitioner. She she told me I had to get the flu, the booster, pneumonia, and RSV. And I I I went to Norwich Pharmacy to advertise on Norwich the WICH. In the first week, I got. The flu and the uh, uh, COVID. Then a week later, I got the pneumonia. Then a week later, after that, I got RSV and I got Blue Cross CMS. And I didn't pay anything. Okay, good for you. That's great. That's, 
That's Norwich That's Pharmacy. Awesome. All right, he got a, he's got have a plethora of vaccines. I was going to say at first I thought he was telling me that he got the I know, he was scaring me. <laughs> he wouldn't have been able to call, I don't think. But, I know. So uh, that's good. I, yeah. You know, I hope everything works for him. Wish I had more time, Sue, because the phones are all lit up, but we, we'll do it again. And anything uh, you feel that our audience needs to know, just call me anytime. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Stu. Thanks, Sue. Take care all of yourself. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Sue Dub. Stu Breyer with the WICH. Don't forget, wash your hands.